Well, hey, I don't know what you guys are coming in here with uh, this morning. You might be uh, feeling really great, feeling really <clears throat> rested and refreshed, and life's going well, and you're happy, and there's a lot of joy going on, and things are just looking up. Uh, you might be exhausted this morning. You might be feeling run down. You might be feeling uh, like a million different voices around you are screaming at you, pulling you in different directions. You might be staring down the barrel of a big decision right now. You might be facing transition. You might be going through all kinds of things that I have no idea about. Uh, but what I do know is what we are going to look at this morning in God's word, this, this promise to us about who Jesus says he is. And it is just this beautiful reality that Jesus sees you. He knows you. He cares for you. He knows exactly who you are. He knows your name, in fact. And he knows exactly what you are dealing with in your world right now, in your reality. He knows exactly what's going on. And he is the God who is the door and he is the good shepherd. That's what we're going to see today. He's the God who sees you, who wants to meet you right where you are, who wants to speak to you, speak to your life, speak to your reality and be the shepherd of your soul. He wants to restore your soul. He wants to lead you to green pastures, lead you beside still waters, refresh you, and give you abundant life. That is the God that we worship. And if you were around last week uh, in chapter 9, we're going to be in John chapter 10 uh, this morning, starting at verse 1. But last week we looked at this story uh, where Jesus is walking and he sees this man born blind, this man who has been blind his entire life, which would have been a miserable existence, especially in that time. He would have had to beg uh, for money. We saw that he was begging on the street and Jesus sees him. He stops and he meets him where he is and he miraculously opens his eyes and the blind man, not blind anymore, believes. He puts his faith in Jesus and we see the Pharisees, the, the religious uh, zealots of the time, they get upset at what Jesus did. And they call the blind man a sinner. They actually call Jesus a sinner. And they throw the blind man, not blind anymore, out of the synagogue. And it's this beautiful, powerful, uh, staggering reality that Jesus shows us. That those who think that they see rightly, those who are self-righteous, who think that they are good enough, can do good enough, can be good enough to earn their salvation and earn life with God are actually the blind ones. And that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came for the people who know that they are down and out, that through their own decisions and their life circumstances, they are struggling and that they cannot do it on their own. Jesus came for those people who are humbled and reach out and receive the grace and the forgiveness and the life that he offers to them. That is the Jesus that we serve. That is the God that we worship. And so our passage today is a carry-on from that conversation, from that interaction that happens. And Jesus is going to meet uh, this blind man and meet these Pharisees in the midst of this encounter. And he's going to speak these just beautiful words of power and clarity and life and truth and hope. And this is what he says. Let's read it together. John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. 
The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down Of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And so Jesus lays down these two huge claims. I am the door and I am the good shepherd. I am the door and I am the good shepherd. Both those images are very closely related. And I don't know if you've been around Christian stuff uh, in your life and you might have this, um, maybe some weird baggage attached to this image of the good shepherd. I do. I went to a Catholic elementary school. Catholic school trauma problems, yeah. Um, And so I went to, uh, my elementary school was actually called Good Shepherd. And I just remember thinking, this is the weirdest thing, because all around the school, there'd be these massive, like, felt, uh, fuzzy posters, and these huge paintings, and these huge pictures, and all of them depicted, you know, Jesus, the good shepherd. And uh, it was this image where Jesus was this, like, shiny, really clean, like, long-haired, uh, white guy, which is weird, because he's Middle Eastern, but he was this white guy, kind of looked like Russell Brand a little bit, and he would be, like, snuggling with these sheep, like this weird intimacy where Jesus would be like holding the sheep really close. And there was one I remember that was super creepy where Jesus' face was like pressed into this little lamb and they're like sleeping together and just like having this cuddle time nap. And so I grew up with that image of Jesus as the good shepherd, right? Where Jesus is just, you know, this soft little cuddle buddy and he just wants to snuggle with you and be close to you. And really, if we understand shepherding and sheep, in the context, that's not the image of the shepherd at all, right? The shepherd 
the job of a shepherd was not this neat and clean and tidy uh, job, this cute little job. It was actually, it was really harsh. It was really rugged. You would be out in the wilderness, in the Middle Eastern sun, on the cliffside, in these pastures, looking after these sheep all day. And it was messy. You have to deal with the, the wool of the sheep. And sheep are really gross. They get diseases. You have to shear them and shave them and take care of them and lead them and feed them and guide them and do all these things. And it was a messy job. And it's this beautiful thing where Jesus is, is saying, I'm not this distant God. I'm not just up in the sky and you're down there doing your life and you don't have to pretend that your life is neat and clean and it isn't messy. Jesus knows the reality of our lives, that life is gritty, right? And we don't have to come in here and pretend that we're all good, we're all cleaned up, everything's good. We come as we are in our mess and Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I wanna meet you in the middle of your mess and take care of you and lead you, and guide you, and lead you to life. And the thing about sheep that we need to understand is, is that they're actually really, really, really dumb, right? This is actually kind of a confronting image when Jesus calls us sheep, because sheep are really, really stupid. They're hopeless, and they are helpless without a shepherd. Because out there in the harsh uh, Middle Eastern climate, the Israeli climate, they would have the sun beating down on them. They would have wolves and bears and lions constantly waiting for them to wander off on their own so they could eat them and rip them to shreds, right? It was dangerous, the life of a sheep. And sheep are actually really, really stupid where if they don't have a shepherd leading them to water, they will actually just go thirsty. They won't go and find water. They'll just stand there and and just die. And sheep will eat all the grass in their area. They'll stay in a pasture, They'll just little lawnmowers. They'll just eat all the grass, but then they'll just stand there. They won't go find new food, new grass, unless a shepherd leads them there. They'll actually just stand there and die, right? It was a harsh life being a sheep. Jesus is saying to be a sheep is dangerous. There are wolves that are going to try to eat you all the time. Life is going to try and kick you down and destroy you. And what he's saying to us, if you're getting the message at this point, where we're going with this is Jesus is saying to us, you're the sheep. I'm the shepherd. You live in a very harsh climate. You live in a harsh world, a harsh culture with all kinds of voices shouting at you constantly, making false promises to you about where to find life with wolves at the gate constantly waiting to rip you to shreds and destroy your life and destroy your soul. But let me be the good shepherd. Let me meet you where you are in the midst of your harsh world in your life and lead you into green pastures, lead you to water, lead you to life. You need a shepherd, and I am the good shepherd of your soul. That's what Jesus is saying to us this morning. There's only one good shepherd, and it is I. I am him. Let me care for you. Let me defend you from the enemy. Let me lead you into abundant life. Look at verse 3 and 4 of our passage. It says, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Right, so it's this beautiful picture where the shepherd would go in uh, to the sheepfold, and all the shepherds would, would have this one big communal sheepfold where they would bring all their sheep, and then the shepherd, each shepherd would go in, and he would know his sheep by name. Shepherds actually named their sheep, which is pretty cool. And the sheep would know their shepherd's voice. And so the shepherd would go and call them by name, bring them out, and then lead them into pasture. Right? And what Jesus is saying is, my sheep will know my voice. I want to speak to you. I want to lead you. I want to guide you. So one thing, one important thing that it means to have Jesus as our shepherd 
is that in a noisy world, Jesus calls us by name. Can we just be blown away by that for a second? That Jesus, God of the universe, knows your name. Of all the seven billion people in the world, or however many people are in the world, God knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows you. He knows who you are, and he calls you by name. God still speaks to us. Isn't that amazing? God still speaks to us. And it's this thing, if you notice it in verse 3 and 4, it's this thing where Jesus calls the sheep, the good shepherd calls the sheep out, and then he calls them, or he calls them in, and then he calls them out into pasture. So he calls them to himself, and then he leads them out. And so the call of God for all of us, as God calls our name, is, is this twofold call, where he calls us to follow him. He calls us out of the world, out of sin, out of death, out of darkness, He calls us to himself to put our trust in him and our faith in him to follow him. And then the second part of that call is to actually walk with him in obedience, in discipleship, in apprenticeship to Jesus. So he says, come to me, enter through the door, be saved, enter into this relationship with God through me and then follow me because I'm on the move and I want to follow, I want to lead you and I want you to follow me into life. It's this call to salvation and it is a call to discipleship. Jesus never calls us to himself to just be saved and then to stay where we are. He calls us to himself and then says, I want to lead you into life. And so it's worth just spending a few minutes this morning, guys, just asking Can you hear the voice of God? And how? How do we hear the voice of God? Because the reality is that God is still speaking to us today. God is still communicating with us. And he says, I want to lead you through the harsh reality of your life by guiding you by the sound of my voice. So how does God speak to us today? The first thing, primarily, God speaks through the Bible. God speaks to us through his written word. The Bible is the revelation of God. It is infallible. It is inerrant. It is the perfect word of God where he has revealed himself. He has revealed who he is, his character to us in the pages of scripture. These are not just stories, anecdotes, cool life lessons and life teachings. These are actually this Holy Spirit inspired words of God where the Spirit of God filled and inspired the people who wrote this book, Old Testament and New Testament, to write exactly what God wanted to communicate to us. And that's why when we read the Scriptures, when we approach the Word of God and we read it and we hear it spoken and we study it, we're not just learning new concepts and new ways to live better lives. We're not just filling our heads with more knowledge. God actually takes this, the Holy Spirit takes this and presses it deep into our mind, but also our heart. Right? And we hear the voice of God speak to us through the words of Scripture because it is God, the Holy Spirit, who wrote this and it is his power that fills these words and applies them to our mind and applies them to our heart and fills us and leads us and guides us through the words of Scripture. There's so much power in that. And so, when, guys, when we do community group, when we do inductive Bible study, men's and women's study, when we approach the word on our own in our devotional time, Are we actually approaching that, opening up the Bible and going, God, speak to me? Does it actually mean something? Are you meeting with the word behind the word, the God who wrote this, when you read this? This is how God speaks to us primarily, is through his word. And I can tell you a million stories, story after story after story of people that um, I've been friends with, people that I've met, people that I've spent time with who wanted nothing to do with God. They didn't even believe God was real. They didn't believe in Jesus, but they start reading these words and God starts speaking to them through these words. 
and speaking to their exact life situation and their heart and their mind and starts to call them to himself through this. One of my best friends that I played soccer with at Trinity, this was his story. He came from a Mormon background, wanted nothing to do with Jesus as God, didn't believe it, but he came to a team Bible study once. He heard us just walking through the word of God and there was power in it. Something hit him in the heart and he went, this God might be real. This Jesus might be real. And then he just asked me one day, hey man, can we just sit once a week and just, just read the Bible and just, just see what happens. I don't think anything's going to happen, but let's just see what happens. And so we did. We read verse by verse by verse through the book of James. Once a week we met up and then we read through a gospel and then we read through another book. And by the end of it, he was just like, this, this Jesus is real. And we sat there in a slum in Paraguay with a Bible open and him crying and giving his life to Jesus because he says, this Jesus is real. He's spoken to my mind. He's spoken to my heart. God calls us, he speaks to us through the Bible, story after story of this happening. God speaks to us through preaching. So very similar, this is the word of God proclaimed. When anyone gets up, doesn't have to be on a stage, it doesn't have to be with a microphone, but in any context, when somebody gets up and just starts opening the words of God and explaining them and expounding them and even just reading them, the Holy Spirit takes these words and he does something deep and spiritual and and beautiful with it where he takes it and he applies it to your heart and just cuts right through all the stuff, right? All the pretension, all the self-image that we project just takes it and cuts right through and cuts to the heart and speaks to you right where you are, speaks to your situation, speaks to your objections and your pushbacks. We see this over and over in scripture. A powerful example of it is in uh, Acts chapter two, when the apostle Peter, uh, right after the Holy Spirit has descended on his people and filled his people, Peter stands up in front of thousands of people and he just starts proclaiming the word of God from the Old Testament scriptures. He starts explaining it to the people. And this is what we read happens. Acts 2, it says, now when they heard this, the the crowd, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Right? This is what happens when we hear the word of God preached, proclaimed the truth of God. The Holy Spirit takes it. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 4, we read that the word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. This is what it does. It cuts to the heart. These people heard a sermon. They heard the word of God proclaimed. And they were cut to the heart. Jeremiah uh, chapter 23, the prophet Jeremiah, when God's calling him to go out and speak uh, his word to the people, Jeremiah's, uh, he's a young man and he's hesitant about it. He's, I don't know, I don't know about this, God. I don't know if this is going to do anything. And God gives him this promise. And he says, my word is like a fire and a hammer that shatters the rock, right? It's like a fire. When the word of God goes out, cold hearts, hearts that are cold against people and cold against God, the word goes out and the Holy Spirit warms cold, icy hearts toward people and toward God. And it's like a hammer that smashes the rock. When we hear and our hearts are hard against God and against people and against what we know God wants us to do, we have these stony hearts. The word goes forward with power and smashes hard hearts like a hammer. That's the power of the word of God. He speaks through preaching. So when you come to church, when you listen to a podcast, you listen to a sermon on your morning walk and your morning devos, are you going, God, speak to me? Can you hear the voice of God? He speaks through the Bible. He speaks through preaching and God speaks through his spirit in us. So the reality for every single Christian 
that we're promised in scripture is that we have the spirit of the living God living in us. How crazy is that? The spirit of God living in us, speaking to us, leading us along in life. In uh, chapter 14, John said this, or sorry, Jesus says this, John writes it, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then again, a couple chapters later in chapter 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. This is the promise for every single believer, follower of Jesus. Guys, if you have put your trust in Jesus, if you are a new creation with a new heart following Jesus, his spirit lives in you and his spirit will speak to you. We'll get these promptings of the Holy Spirit. These things that happen where you just, you're in a situation and you, you just know, you know that God wants you to go to talk, to, go talk to somebody, go share the truth with them, go love them, go give them something, go be generous with your stuff. Go have a conversation, start a whatever, do something. You've probably been in those situations where you just feel this pull, this deep in you, this pull that you need to go and do something. Or it might be sin, something that you're really, a temptation that's just getting the better of you, kicking you around, that you're giving into, and you just feel this pull of the Holy Spirit. I got to let this thing go. I got to confess. I got to go have a conversation with somebody, sort something out. This pull, this inner voice of the Holy Spirit that is living in you. God speaks to us through it. This happens in the scriptures, again, in Acts 8, um, with the, the Ethiopian eunuch. You might know the story, but it says this, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? So it's a super cool thing where Philip's just, he's just chilling out. And then he hears the voice of the Holy Spirit within him say, go over to that chariot and go help this guy who's reading the Bible. He's reading Isaiah and doesn't know what it means. You ever been sitting there reading Isaiah and not knowing what it means? Me too. Right? And he listens to that voice of the Holy Spirit and just he's obedient and he goes and does it. Sometimes God will speak to us in this still, small voice, the Spirit in us to go and do, to go and say, to confess, to just be with God, whatever it might be. Are you listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit? And God speaks to us through people and circumstances. So first of all, the, the church, guys, I think we, we underappreciate how incredible the church actually is and what the church actually is meant to be. This is a community of people that God has given us, filled with his spirit, growing in his knowledge and his wisdom and maturity and discipleship that he's given us to support us and surround us and pray for us and speak the wisdom of God into our lives and speak the word of the spirit and the truth of God into our lives and into our hearts and help us along, right? In the treachery of life, in the struggles and the battles that we have to sharpen each other like iron sharpening iron, right? That's, God has given us, us, this group of people to do that together. God puts people in our lives and you might be, you might not be a Christian here today. You might be uh, somebody who used to go to church or grew up in a Christian family, but then walked away, or you might, you know, not be around Christian stuff ever. But I've seen this crazy thing happen time and time and time and time again, where maybe God has put Christian people in your life. People who are crazy about Jesus, love Jesus, 
And you're just, you find yourself drawn to them. You find yourself just pulled toward them. Like they have something that you don't have. Like there's something about them that you actually like to be around. And they're not these creepy weirdos that you thought they might be. Right? And you start to feel yourself pulled toward them. God puts people in our lives to point us to Jesus. God who owns the universe, who knows every single one of us. It's not coincidence. You might think there's these weird coincidences happening in your life where God just, you keep meeting Christian people. You keep meeting people who love Jesus and love people radically and love God and go to church and do this stuff. It's not a coincidence. God uses people and he uses circumstances. And we can't explain it all the time, but it's beautiful. I've seen this happen so many times, guys. Like again, I'm just, I guess it's story time with Sam today. Another good friend of mine from Trinity, uh, where I went to university, same thing, soccer team, I played soccer there. Another guy on the team, he comes in, he's this big party guy, um, too cool for school, just doesn't want anything to do with Jesus, like thinks all these Christian guys, myself included, are just the biggest weirdos, losers, wants nothing to do with it. And then slowly, over time, he starts going, why, why are these Christian people around me the people that I love the most? Why are they the people that care for me the most? Why are they the people that are, are willing to be generous with me and give to me and help me along and help me with my schoolwork and help me with my, my gym sessions? That's all I could contribute to him. Say, hey, man, let me help you lift weights. You're so weak. But why are these Christian people the people in my life that I actually am pulled toward? And then God just did this crazy thing where you can make fun of the song if you want. I don't care. But this, this song, Good, Good Father, right, where it just it repeats it like a million times. <laughs> You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. That's who I am. And it was just a super weird thing where this friend, somebody, somebody on our team showed him this song, and then he sat in his dorm room and played this song on repeat for two hours. And he had all these wounds, all this broken sexual past, just all this really crazy stuff that he just thought to himself, God could never take me, never piece me back together, never love me, never do something with my life. And he sat in his dorm room and listened to these words on repeat. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. And I am loved by you. That's who I am. And he broke and God spoke to him and he gave his life to Jesus. And now today, years later, he's serving in the church. He's a leader in the church He's showing people the love of Jesus. He's showing people, preaching to people that God is a good, good father who can take your life no matter how broken it is and heal you and forgive you and do something with it. Right? One more, one more story because I just, this gets me fired up. Right? One of my best friends in the whole world. He was my co-best man. I had two best men at my wedding because I couldn't pick a best friend. Right? So he was one of them. Another guy, soccer team, man. God moved in this space. And he spoke in this space. But this guy's backstory, he grew up Christian parents. His dad was a pastor, small town Alberta, and they were struggling financially. They, had, they never had enough. And so he's growing up in this household where he sees dad serving God, serving the church. But he just felt like God is never providing. He's never meeting the needs that they had. And he has this one just super painful memory of where they didn't have enough food to eat. They didn't have dinner. Three kids, family of five, they didn't have enough dinner and they, big family, they split this one little pizza and they went hungry and they didn't have enough. And it's just memory that's just etched in his brain. God, you're not good. God, you don't provide. You don't love us. And he walked away from the faith years and years and years. He wasn't a Christian. He just walked away. He was dealing drugs. He was doing all kinds of crazy stuff. That's where I met him, his first year of university. 
That's his backstory. I told you guys a few weeks ago, I used to play in a band, kind of lame. Uh, I drummed in a band, and we toured a little bit and whatever. We, we cut one short album um, with this weird producer who, he was an awesome guy, but he just produced our album out of his basement in Edmonton. And this guy used to play guitar in a Christian band for some reason, right? A band nobody's ever heard of. Nobody. You've never heard of them, I promise you. Just this little band, and he used to play guitar for them. They're a Christian band. And so my buddy, soccer team buddy, he's from Alberta. He had a Christian friend from youth group that one time dragged him to this stupid rock show that was in a basement of a church, and it was this band of the producer who produced my band's album years later. When I meet this friend at Trinity... He wants nothing to do with Jesus, nothing to do with anything. He actually was kind of using me because I was old enough to buy him booze and cigarettes and drive him around. I didn't. I didn't. But he was hanging out with me for that reason. And so I drove him to Boston Pizza one time during preseason camp. And we're driving to Boston Pizza, and I give him my iPod because we used iPods then. It was a few years ago. And I said, here, put on some music. And I had this guy's weird old Christian band. I had his songs on my iPod. And my buddy grabs my iPod and he puts on this one song from this band. And he goes, how do you have this band on your iPod? Nobody's ever heard of this band. And he puts on this song and it's all about the goodness of God and the provision of God. And he goes, I have never met anyone else in the world that has even heard of this band. Okay. And so then we develop a relationship and we start hanging out. This is the guy that I drove to Santa Barbara with, right? If you remember that story, and we camped out in my Honda Civic. And we're sitting there. This guy has all these thoughts going around in his head. Is God good? Can I trust God? I don't want to believe in God. But we have this relationship now. And we have the, remember the pizza story. God's not good. Okay, and we're sitting there. We're two broke university students, have no money. This guy's not going to eat for the rest of his time for like the last three days that we're in Santa Barbara. And we're thinking to ourselves, man, it'd be super cool to go to Disneyland. But we don't have any money. We hop on Facebook in Starbucks and a friend of mine that I haven't spoken to in years messaged me and said, hey, you're in, you're in L.A. I'm in L.A. I have two extra tickets to Disneyland. If you can make it to L.A. today, you can have the tickets. Okay, cool. So we drive to, to, to Disneyland. We sleep in the parking lot of a Holiday Inn. We hop the fence and steal continental breakfast in the morning. Okay, and then we spend the night there. And we're hanging out. And this friend just, God's doing something. He's speaking to him. Okay, we got free Disneyland tickets, and we're sitting there. My friend is at a breaking point. And we go to walk in to the Holiday Inn to go and sneak into the showers and take a shower because it's been a week and we haven't showered. And my friend just has this moment where he holds the door open for this guy, and the guy has seven boxes of pizza carrying them in his hands, and he goes, thank you. He walks to the door, and he looks my friend in the face, and goes, I have too much pizza. Do you want one of my pizzas? And Taylor just, boom, breaks. Because he has this story, this past. God is not good. We didn't have enough pizza to eat. Even though we are a family that loved God and served God, God is not good. God's not real. And he just has this moment years later. So because I played in a terrible band growing up and recorded songs with this producer, God used this story to connect us to a band that nobody's heard of, driving to Boston Pizza, so then we could drive to Santa Barbara, so then we could go to Disneyland. 
So then God could use this random guy to give my friend a pizza to show him that God loves him, God cares for him, God provides, God is real. And my friend gives his life to Jesus and is following Jesus. God speaks through people and circumstances. How is God speaking to you right now? Who has God put in your life? How is he speaking to you through that person? This is the God who hunts us down. The God that C.S. Lewis called the hound of heaven. The God who loves us, who comes after us to grab us where we are and save us. Look at verse 16 of our passage. Jesus says this, I have other sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Right? This is the heart of God, guys. This is the God who goes after us, who pursues us, who uses whatever means he wants to, who speaks to us, calls to us through the Bible, through preaching, through people, through friends, through his spirit, who calls to us and chases us down even when we're not looking for him. He's the one who initiates faith. He comes after us. We respond in faith. One flock, one shepherd. I have other sheep, Crossridge. There are other sheep out there that are not part of this fold that God wants to speak to, that God wants to call, that God wants to give life to, to call out of darkness and death, to follow him. He has other sheep. There are sheep in your office. That's a weird image. There are sheep on your sports team. There are sheep in your children's sports teams. There are sheep in your school, in your university. There are sheep there. There are people there that God wants to speak to, to call out to, to reach, to call and draw to himself. I have other sheep that are not part of this flock. I want to speak to them. I want to draw them in. The God who seeks us out, the good shepherd who hunts us down and calls us to himself. This is how God speaks. He speaks through the Bible, through preaching, through his spirit in us, through people and circumstances. And so just really practically, when you start to hear the voice of God and listen for the voice of God, how do you know? How do you know that it's him speaking to you? How do you know that it's him calling you and drawing you to himself? First of all, we look to the scriptures. We don't want any of this weird God told me stuff. God told me, God told me. God will never tell you something that is contrary to his character and who he is and how he has revealed himself in the scriptures. We take every word that we think God is speaking to us, somebody is speaking to us, and we line it up against the word of God. We line it up to the scriptures, right? And then I like my, my three Ps. This is what I use to try and discern the voice of God, the good shepherd calling to me. Is this God, right? Prayer, right? First we pray, we ask God for wisdom. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him, right? So we pray, we ask God, God, I need to make this decision. I need your wisdom. Please, will you speak to me? Right? And then people. Proverbs 11.14, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. God has given us each other. He's given us this community. He's given you people in your life with his spirit in them to speak to you, to speak the truth and the word of God to you. When you have to make a decision, when you need, you want God to speak to you, you need help with this, get people around you praying for your situation, people who know God and love God and know and love you. Do you have those people around you? And peace, peace is the last one. 1 Corinthians 14, 33 says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. 
Take comfort in the fact that God is not trying to trick you. He's not trying to confuse you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to reveal his word to you. He wants to show you which way to go. He's not a God of confusion, but of peace. We, we stack it up against the word of God, right? We pray, we seek people, and do you have peace about the decision that you're about to make? Right? We need to know the word of God because, and the will of God, and we need to know his voice because what does our passage say? Read verse 5. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Right? And then again down to verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out of pasture. Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Right? So we need to know the voice of God in a noisy world. Right? Because you have so many other voices calling to you. So many other voices shouting at you, promising you life, promising you this is the way to freedom. This is the way to peace. This is the way to joy. And the reality is that Jesus is saying any other door, any other voice, any other way, but following me is a thief, a robber. He comes to kill and steal and destroy. Right? So do you know the voice of God? The best way to know the voice of God in our lives, how do you know someone's voice? By spending time with them, right? Knowing somebody's voice flows naturally out of knowing that person, right? That's why when I, you know, someone calls me and I pick up my phone and it's my wife, I know right away that it's her voice, right? Because I've spent time with her, right? I know how she speaks. I know the inflection of her voice. I know the sound of her voice. I know the kinds of things that she says because I live with her. I'm around her constantly. And so when she calls me and says something to me, sometimes usually she answers the phone or she starts the conversation with, hey, babe, right? So sweet. When she does that, says, hey, babe, I don't go, who's this? (laughs) Pastor Lee? (laughs) Right? I know her voice because I'm around her. I know the kind of person that she is. Are we in the presence of God. Sometimes we want God to you know, shoot us a text message or an email or a call from a distance and tell us what to do, right? He doesn't work that way. Most often God speaks to us through intimacy, through relationship, through walking with him. Because when you're around somebody all the time, you don't need an extra word. You don't need some special word of revelation dropped on you from a distance because you know the heart of God. You already know from being around him and being in his presence what he is like and what he wants you to do. Do you know the voice of God? Because are you walking closely with God? And this is so important because we have all these other voices, man. Life is so loud. The world, the culture we live in is so loud, right? And sheep, the thing about sheep is that sheep are followers, right? What Jesus is saying is that whether you realize it or you will admit it or not, you're a follower. Every single one of us is a follower, And so we're either following the voice and the way of the world and of the culture, or we're following the way of Jesus. That's it. There are two options, right? Sheep are so dumb. They will follow. If one sheep runs off a cliff or into the mouth of a lion, the other sheep will just watch and follow right along, right? They're followers. Jesus is saying, listen to my voice. My sheep will know my voice and they will follow me. Every other voice, everyone who came before is a thief and a liar. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Look at verse 10, guys. This is beautiful. One of the most beautiful statements in all of scripture. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
They may have life and have it abundantly. In a world of false promises, Jesus leads us to real life. What is this life? Jesus promises us life and life abundant. We hear that word abundant. It's plenty. It's lots. This doesn't have anything to do with stuff. Right? The abundant life that Jesus promises us has nothing to do with giving us more stuff, giving us more comfort, giving us more money, giving us more things. The life that Jesus promises to us is this deep, spiritual, lasting, eternal life that has nothing to do with the circumstances that we are in. It is not tied to the wind and the waves and the weak circumstances of our lives that go up and down and change constantly, but is anchored to a relationship with the God of the universe. That is the life that Jesus promises us. It is this kind of life, this deeper life, this meaningful, full and abundant life that cannot be touched no matter how bad life gets. If every single thing gets painfully ripped away from us, this life that Jesus offers cannot be taken from us. That's the kind of life that he's talking about. A deep and lasting and satisfying life, eternal life that we will spend in the presence of God for all of eternity, but that we can start to experience and walk in now for the rest of our days in this world. Abundant life is peace in the deep inner part of the soul that knows that I am forgiven for every sin. This abundant life is confidence that the God who holds the world is holding on to me and no matter what happens, no matter what I walk through, he is not letting go of me. Right? I love the way John Piper puts this. He says, none of us wants to be merely safe. We were not created merely to be safe. The human heart wants infinitely more than safety. Oh yes, safety is basic and necessary. We want to be protected from what can destroy us. But we want life, life, but we want more than mere life. We want abundant life, overflowing life, deep life, weighty life, joyful life. We don't just want to survive. We want to thrive at every level of our human being. We were made for this. The sheepfold itself represents safety and protection, but sheep don't want to stay there. In fact, they will die if they stay in the safety of the fold. They want green pastures and still waters. Abundant life is not about having stuff. It's about having peace, having joy, having God. Amen. Did you catch that about what Jesus said? That it's not enough just to be saved. He said in verse 9, right? I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. We'll go in through Jesus. Jesus is the only way. Unlike these Pharisees, the religious, righteous, self-righteous people that Jesus is talking to, our good deeds, our good works are not enough to save us. Nothing is enough to save us, but the grace and the blood of Jesus, it's through him and through him alone that we are saved. But then he saves us through the door and he leads the sheep out to pasture. He leads them after they are saved. He leads them into life. He leads them into green fields so they don't starve. He leads them to still water, to drink and refresh their souls. Some of us are satisfied. Some of us are, are settling for just being saved. For just having our sins forgiven and then not following Jesus in discipleship, in apprenticeship, in modeling our lives after him and following him. We're happy to just be saved and then just chill out. 
And the reality is that Jesus did not come to us and give his life and die for us so that we could settle in and kick our feet up and have a comfortable 60 or 50 or 80 or whatever years until we go and die and just live this comfortable suburban middle-class life until we go to heaven. No, he promises us abundant life. Life of adventure, life of purpose, life of meaning, this crazy adventure of following in the footsteps of Jesus and seeing where he wants to lead you, what he wants to do with your life. Right? We walk with him, we follow the shepherd into green pastures. Jesus has so much more for you than just comfort, so much more than safety. Abundant life is not safety. Right? We need to not be satisfied to just be saved, and that's enough. Follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Listen to his voice. Where is he calling you? Where is he leading you? Where is he calling you to get involved? Where is his spirit telling you to go and serve Right? Because we are saved, because we are forgiven, because we have freedom, right? because nothing in this world can touch our eternity, can touch our souls, can destroy us. No thief, no robber can destroy us. We're safe in the hands of God. We are now safe to go and live this life of boldness, this life of courage, following after Jesus. Where is he calling you to go? He has life and life abundant, life full waiting for us. How does Jesus give us this life? By laying down his life. Right? We're just going to finish on this idea. Just look at this. Look at verse 12. Actually, let's start at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus gives us life by laying down his. The image of the good shepherd, not the hired hand. We get this picture of David. So King David, before he was King David, he was a shepherd boy. And we know from 1 Samuel that he being a good shepherd, he fought off bears and lions with his bare hands, risked his life in order to defend his flock. Jesus is saying, I'm the better David who came and saw you with the wolves, the lions, the bears staring you down, the enemy of your soul, the greatest enemy of our souls, which is death, right? The thing that we all fear, the thing that faces all of us, every single one of us will die and we are terrified of death. Jesus says, I'm going to come and I'm going to march fearlessly, courageously straight into death. I'm going to take all your sin, all your guilt, all your shame, the price, the penalty that you owe for your sin. I'm going to take it on my shoulders and I'm going to gladly, voluntarily lay down my life so that you can have life. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So we can never say that we mean nothing to God. We can never say that we don't have value. Don't ever say that God doesn't love you. Don't ever say that you're worth nothing to God because he voluntarily, did you catch that? Voluntarily, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus saw you facing the wolves, facing the enemy of your soul. And he said, I will gladly lay down my life for you so that you can have life. I will gladly die so that you can walk free. That's how much he loves us, the good shepherd. 
And he's saying to us, guys, I know that life is so loud. I know that your world is so loud. You have a million different voices shouting at you saying, follow me. Life is over here. But Jesus is saying, no, follow me. Every other voice is going to rob your joy. It's going to steal your peace and it's going to destroy your soul. Right? What are the voices that are calling out to you right now? Right? Maybe it's that voice that says, put all of your identity, all of who you are in your work, in your job performance, then you'll matter. Right? Maybe it's that voice that says, put all of your identity, put all your joy, try to find life in that boyfriend or that girlfriend or that spouse or that relationship. There you'll find joy. Find it in money. Go chase after more stuff, more comfort. Right? Maybe it's that voice that's telling you you're not good enough. God can never do something with your life. You're way too broken. That sin that you fell, even in last night, that you gave into. You're worthless. God can never do something with your life. Lies. False promises. Right? Every other thing that promises to give us life that is not Jesus and following after Jesus and the way that he has laid out for us as the good shepherd, it promises you life, but it will ultimately steal your joy, rob you of your peace, and kill your soul. Jesus says there are two ways. You can follow the way of the world like a dumb sheep or you can be my sheep and follow in the footsteps of the good shepherd. I want to lead you to life. I want to lead you to green pastures. Right, and the, the coolest picture we have of this, I think, is, is in Psalm 23. I'm just going to read it as we close and I'll get the band to come up and, and we'll take communion and we'll sing together. Psalm 23 says this. Do you know what? Guys, could you stand with me? Let's say this together. Can I ask you to say it like you mean it too? It says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.